0: You are listening to Reach MD, XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. If you ask a doctor who gives lectures for drug companies, he will most likely say his lectures were highly educational and that they were hired for their medical expertise and speaking skills. According to former drug company sales reps, the opposite may in fact be true. The vast majority of time, any paid relationship that exists between a doctor and a drug company usually tends to the doctor writing more of that particular drug. Is it all about manipulating doctors? Are we that easy a target? Welcome to The Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and joining me today is Dr. Jerome Kasserer, the former editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine and distinguished professor at Tufts University of Medicine. Dr. Kasserer has been referred to as the conscience of American medicine, and he's also the author of the book On the Take, How Medicine's Complicity with Big Business Can Endanger Your Health. Welcome to the show.
1: I'm happy to be with you.
0: Doctor, how bad is the problem? What kind of numbers are we talking about here? How many doctors are really currently on the take?
1: Well, when I wrote the book back, it was published in 2004. I didn't have much information, but a colleague of mine at the Massachusetts General Hospital, David Blumenthal, did a very interesting survey of more than 1,600 doctors that were taken from uh, in a random fashion from the American Medical Association list of practicing doctors. And what he found was that more than three-quarters of them had taken free samples, free food, and free tickets to sporting events from industry. More than a third of them had accepted free continuing medical education, and another third had received payments from, for speaking or consulting for the companies, or enrolling patients in clinical trials. Now, that's really quite an astonishing number of doctors who are very much financially tied to the drug industry.
0: It seems to be a very close relationship and, and getting worse. I know in the New York Times, June 27th, there was an article talking about Vermont. And in Vermont, they spent $2.25 million on their doctors alone. And that's, that's a pretty small state. So I can imagine what's going on in the rest of the country, how much money is actually spent on the doctor.
1: Well, I can tell you that the Senate Aging Committee uh, under Senator Cole is very interested in just the problem that you raised. I testified to his committee a few weeks ago, and one of the issues that was on the table was whether or not the same kind of registry that is now done in Vermont would be done for the entire country. The advantage of that, of course, is to be able to identify the precise amount of money that each doctor in the country is getting from these pharmaceutical companies and then try to correlate those data with data on drug prescribing and data on speaking engagements and medical education. And it's the influence of all these gifts and funds on the practice of medicine.
0: Well, now, I mean, now when I go to lectures, uh, everybody has disclosure at the beginning of the lecture, but it's kind of a joke. It's meaningless. They just flash a slide, show all the conflicts they have, and then they move on. So every speaker has enormous amount of conflicts. They're all kind of complicit in terms of being on the take. And so it, it doesn't have a lot of power yet. So what will change if it becomes more public?
1: Well, I think your point is well taken. I think the issue with disclosure goes even further than you mentioned. For example, if I'm sitting in an audience, and as you were, and someone has flashed up his disclosures on the screen, and suppose I do know which drug is made by the company he's talked about, and I'm listening to him talking about the same drug, how do I interpret what he's saying? Do I uh, assume that he is completely clean, that he hasn't biased his point of view based on the connection he has with the company? Or is it possible that he doesn't even know what he's doing, but he's subconsciously biasing his talk in favor of the company? Or finally, is it possible that he knows exactly what he's doing and he's intentionally biasing what he's saying so that the drug reps in the audience will go back to the company and say, hey, this is a really good guy. We want him to lecture some more. And as a consequence, they'll pay part of his doctor's college tuition. So the problem with disclosure is that it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. We do need disclosure, but it's not enough to to allow us to interpret the comments of people who have these conflicts.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on Reach MD, XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and with me today is Dr. Jerome Kassira. Dr. Kassira wrote the book, On the Take, How Medicine's Complicity with Big Business Can Endanger Your Health. Doctor, there's a famous story about George Bernard Shaw being at a party, and he told a woman that everyone would agree to do anything for money if the price was high enough. Have many physicians all become basically high end whores to big pharma?
1: I mean, I hope that it's not as bad as all that. I don't think there's any doubt that there's some doctors who have gone overboard in their relations with drug companies. There there are stories about doctors who hypertension doctors who go from one place to another and give a different talk about different drugs depending on which company supports them. Now, those would be the whores you're talking about. Those are apocryphal stories. I don't know if they're true or not, but there, there must be some truth to some of that. There are some doctors that are really bad and, and are really doing these kinds of things in a, in a gross fashion. Some dermatologists, for example, are out there pushing drugs in a way that they shouldn't be doing it. So there are people doing it. How common it is for people to be doing things that are that grows, I really can't tell you.
0: Let's get to the to your book on the take. I read it. I thoroughly loved it and despised it at the same time. In the introduction, you talk about a, a time when doctors actually followed the Hippocratic Oath, and which urged doctors to come for the benefit of the sick, remaining free of all intentional injustice and of all mischief. It seems that we have veered quite far from that ideal, don't you think?
1: Well, that's why I wrote the book. The uh, reason that I started the book is that I sensed during the time I was at the New England Journal of Medicine as the editor-in-chief, I sensed that the problem was getting worse and worse. That is, that more and more doctors were getting in bed with the pharmaceutical industry and not just getting in bed with them, but doing things that were not in the best interest of patients. Given the fact that that was going on, it seemed to me that the public needed to know Uh, more about these complex relationships. And it turned out that about the time that my book was published, just before and after, uh, there was a great deal of attention being paid to the issue in the media. There were some reporters from uh, Los Angeles and from Boston and from New York and Washington that were beginning to uncover some substantially serious examples of financial conflict of interest. So the whole thing wrapped up together in a a package, which, as you described correctly, is interesting but despicable.
0: You know, I would call them perverse incentives, and they seem to have polluted all areas of medicine. I was wondering if you could share out of the book some of the more hideous relationships that you found that exist between industry and, and and professional organizations.
1: The problem of professional organizations is that we just don't know a lot about what they do. We do know one thing, and that is that many professional organizations, including the AMA, including the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association and the American Society of Nephrology, all of these Medical organizations, prominent medical organizations, are receiving megabucks from industry. And the problem that we have no no information about is how that money is used, what influence that money has on the uh, industry. And neither do we know what the leaders of these organizations are doing with respect to their relationships with industry. So we know from time to time that there are some leaders of major medical organizations that have been seriously conflicted in terms of financial ties to industry. What the implication of that is for the policies of the organization or of the kind of educational programs that the organization puts on. Uh, is something we just don't know.
0: So I'm wondering how in your career did you stay immune? Were you were you independently wealthy? And you know, perhaps that should be a re- prerequisite in the future for doctors that go to medical school so that they don't uh, fall prey to this potential?
1: I certainly wasn't independently wealthy. I could say I was independently poor, but certainly not independently wealthy. The answer is that early in my career, I uh, did have a relationship with a drug company, I, and I mentioned this in the book. The relationship was that I was hired by the, the uh, large European drug company, Herx, to lecture for them. And I did that for a while. I made a fairly substantial amount of money at the time. It's, it, it's worth about $2,000 uh, a lecture and today's prices. I was sent to various hospitals around the country. They paid my way and paid my hotel bill, and I would give a lecture. There were no restrictions on what I would do, and I was thinking that was pretty fine. I had no compunction to say anything positive or negative about the company or about its drugs. Then, after I did that for a while, I was invited to come to uh, Madison Avenue in New York to learn how to do some videotaping. And I was taught in this fancy office to speak correctly, to emote a little more and so forth. And so finally they said, well, now you're ready to go out and give lectures for us, which I had already been doing. They said, but this time, if we do some taping, we want you to mention a drug once during the lecture. So I said, wait a minute, I I don't do that. That's simply seems to me to be inappropriate uh, to mention a drug. If you want me to go out and lecture and mention that you supported me, that's fine with me, but I'm not going to advertise your products. That was about the end of my career with that drug company because after that, I hardly heard from them ever again. So that was an early example of the sort of thing that really worried me about connecting my professional life with a company. It's something that, that concerned me from the very beginning. So I, after that, I never had any such connection. I never had any stock in any company except for mutual funds. And I made my money honestly. I earned it from being a professor and from giving lectures from time to time and from writing books and things like that. But I never, again, got involved with drug companies
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I've enjoyed it immensely. My guest has been Dr. Jerome Kassirer, author of the book On the Take, How Medicine's Complicity with Big Business Can Endanger Your Health. You've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.